0: You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, so good to be with you today and uh, allow me to extend my welcome to you. My name's Martin, uh, married to who is steering the meeting. If you're new among us, uh, we are the pastors here and uh, just a uh, great... Joy to welcome you. And if you are new or newish among us, a special warm welcome. And uh, we hope that you feel at home here in our midst. And uh, we're going to continue our worship uh, before we finish. Uh, The band are going to lead us. We're going to break bread together. But we're going to turn to the word before that. As you've already heard, we are tomorrow beginning 21 days of prayer and encouraging everyone here who's part of the church to be involved in some way, to fast in some way and uh, to align to what we're doing. This is part of our heartbeat as a church to pray first. Can we all say pray first? Which means that we don't turn to Google first or our best friend first or complain or panic first, but we pray first in all things. We come before the Lord, Not, not as the world does. Sometimes the world reaches out in desperation to God as a last resort, but as the people of God, that we would follow the pattern of the New Testament and put prayer as a high priority in our lives. And so, so so good at the start of the year, even in our calendar, just to come and say, you know what? Before we do anything else, we're going to pray. We're going to call on the Lord, and we'd love you to be involved in that. You've heard already about triplets. If you're not yet in a triplet, uh, please connect with somebody. Ask someone if they're already in a triplet. See if you can join and make it, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? A quadruplet, uh, a a quintet, or whatever. But we're looking for lots of of small groups gathering to pray, to connect in a way that works for you, and just to encourage one another through small group connections and uh, just through triplets, uh, words of encouragement each day and spurring one another on. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one will sharpen another. And I found that so true in my life. And uh, also, you'll see if you've got the blue uh, 21 Days of Prayer guide, There's a little section there on how to approach 21 days. And the first thing it says is prepare well. And I want to say, if you haven't given this a thought until today, it's not too late to prepare well and to think, how can I engage in this time? How can I make the most of this? The second thing it says is enjoy God. And I want to remind us, church, that we're not here to impress God with our fasting. We're here to walk with God. We're not doing this for Him, but with Him. And I want to encourage you to expect, to enjoy the presence of God as you draw near, as you seek His face, uh, to experience something fresh of encountering the Lord. That's our heartbeat, our desire. And the third thing it says is be ready to adjust. One of the things I've learned over many, many years now of prayer and fasting is uh, to have a plan, but to let it be a servant and not a master. In other words, that if something's working well, keep it going. If something's not, be ready to adjust and make the time Work for you. And uh, the other thing I want to draw us uh, to today is that we are going to be journeying through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is one uh, incredible piece of writing, and uh, it's what William Barclay called the crown of the epistles. The commentator Raymond Brown said among Paul's writings, only Romans could match Ephesians as a candidate for exercising the most influence on Christian thought and spirituality. And if you know the Bible, you'll know that Ephesians is best read slowly and deeply. There's just too much there. It's too rich to just speed through it. And so every day we're encouraging, you'll see in the prayer guide, a few verses. And I want to encourage you not just to read the few verses, because that's only going to take you a minute, but to meditate on those verses. And what that means is to think about it. Think about it deeply. And above all, to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, that you would grasp it and understand it. You know, there's something incredible happens when we not just read the Bible, but we get it. And often we don't realize we've not got it until we get it. I remember when I was 17 years of age and I came to faith in Christ for the first time, I'd spent six months as part of a church exploring the Christian faith. And I thought I'd understood the gospel. I thought I'd understood what the cross was about until one day when an evangelist came to our church and he preached on the cross, And it was like a lens that had been out of focus and I didn't even realize it was out of focus until it came into focus. And I suddenly got it in a deeper way. And I believe that can happen in these three weeks as we study the book of Ephesians, as we meditate on it, as we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word. And each week we've got a key scripture. And this week I'm teeing us up for what is coming from tomorrow. But the key scripture for this week from Ephesians 1, 18 to 19 Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. Can we all say no, that you may know and that, that you might get it. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so today we are gonna read the whole of chapters one and two. We don't normally read this much scripture in our preaching, but it is good. The Bible encourages us to commit ourselves to the public reading of scripture it isn't going to come up uh, on the screens uh, i am going to read it and if you've got a bible the uh, hard copy or a device i'm going to encourage you to take it out and to follow along <coughs> excuse me and we're going to read these incredible words together i wonder could if you're able can we stand together for the reading of god's word this is ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him, who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength which He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And all the people of God said, amen, amen. Do take your seat. Awesome, thank you so much. How good to read these incredible words. Well, you'll see uh, in the prayer booklet that this coming week we are calling Chosen, Saved, and Raised. But today, the title for this message, I I partly want to call it Chosen, Saved, and Raised, but I really want to call it Didn't Just didn't just chosen, save, and raise. Because you see, if, if I just had two minutes to try and explain the gospel to someone who didn't know, I'd have to talk about the cross. I'd have to talk about the fact that all of us, wherever we've come from, however we've tried to live, we have all fallen short of the holiness, the purity, and the glory of God. And because of that, we have we have all been deserving of death. But God, in His great love for us, came and paid that penalty of death for us in Christ, reconciling us to himself if we will accept it and believe. And if we will, that the risen Christ will come and bring newness of life to us. And in that, I guess, is the essence of the Christian gospel that we are saved. But here's the truth. And this is what Ephesians 1 and 2 shows us. And this is that my prayer over this coming week, as we dig into these scriptures, we will grasp and we will get that he didn't just save me, meaning he rescued me and he, he removed my sins from me. He also forgave me, which isn't transactional, which which maybe salvation could be. It is relational. He He drew near to me. He, he reconciled me to himself. But he didn't just save me and forgive me. He also chose me, which means that He desires me, that He planned me and that He wants me. But He didn't just save me and forgive me and choose me. He also adopted me, which means that He he wants me in His family. He, He wants me to be close and this is a permanent arrangement. But He didn't just save and forgive and choose and adopt me. He also redeemed me, which means He paid a price for me, which means he values me and he didn't just save and forgive and choose and adopt and redeemed. He also predestined me, which means that even though I have free will, he purposed that I would receive this message and not miss out on his plan for my life. But he didn't just save and forgive and choose and adopt and redeem and predestine. He lavished his grace on me which means there is an abundance of grace. It means there is more than enough grace for the sins committed and and the sins that I will commit, even though I seek to follow Christ. And there is enough grace for the trials and tribulations of the day because he's lavished his abundance grace on me. But he didn't only do that. He also gave me his Holy Spirit, a promise of what is to come, to walk with me and to comfort me and to fill me. And he didn't even just do that, but he also raised me and seated me with Christ in heavenly places. Not a statement for tomorrow, but a statement today. He has changed where I am. He raised me up and he seated me, but he didn't just do that. He prepared good works in advance for me to do. And he didn't even just do those things. He put me in a family with brothers And sisters to support me and stand with me. And he didn't even just do all of those things. He filled me and blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, this is the gospel. This is the message of Ephesians. In fact, it isn't really the message of Ephesians. It's just Paul exploding in praise. It's Paul beginning his letter going, praise be to God for all of this. And then as we journey through, we'll see some of the big messages and the themes of Ephesians. But this week, our prayer would be that we would grasp afresh the fullness of what God has done for us, that our hearts would truly be enlightened, because friends, if we get it, we will be changed forever. A little more on three ideas to tee us up for this week. Number one, chosen. My friend, I want to tell you that He chose you. He chose you. He wanted you. I don't know if you were ever at school and part of a lineup with two captains that are picking their teams and some got chosen first and some got left to the end. Oh, you can have those two. You can have those two. It feels good to be chosen. It doesn't feel good to be left to the end as a, okay, you can have them. I don't know if, if you were one of the ones that, that always got picked first, you might not understand what it feels like to be picked last. But I want to tell you, God picked you first. He chose you before the foundation of the earth. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, He chose you. The truth is, He chose us before creation. This is what Ephesians 1, 4-5 says. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will. Before let there be light, He chose you. I have this picture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity, having a conversation before creation where He sees you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they see you, and they choose you, and they desire you, and they design you, and they they give you all your special gifts and features and even some of your quirks and they delight in you and they're excited about when you're going to be and in the big scroll of eternity they plot you and they plan you even before let there be light this is what the bible said he chose you before creation can you imagine a conversation let's just let's just earth in an example can you imagine the father saying oh do you see him and the son says yes i see him and the spirit says you're talking about mark beswick yes we're talking about Mark Beswick. I see him. What a guy. I'm so excited for him. And then can you see the father saying, oh, I, I, let's make him British, but with a with a Jamaican flavor. And the spirit says, oh, yes. And the spirit says, let's give him an incredible singing voice. And the father says, oh, that, that he might be able to draw people into our presence. And the son says, yes, I'm excited about that. And the spirit says, but so he doesn't get uh, too overconfident, let's, let's make him a bit on the short side. And, uh, and, uh, and the son says, I, I think maybe, maybe, that, maybe that would be appropriate. And the son says, it sits well with me. And the father says, do you see how he loves people? And the son says, I love how he loves people. Do you see how he loves bun and cheese? Oh, yes, I see. And they they delight in him. They delight in him before creation. And the Spirit says, I can't wait for him. When can we get him started? The son says, oh, but we're going to need him in, in the 2020s. We're going to need him in 2023. in an incredible church in Coventry, and the Spirit says, oh, yes, I see it. We'll have to wait. We'll have to hold on. This is the truth. He saw you before creation. Even before Let There Be Light, he chose you. And we thank God that he chose Mark to be here among us at this time. And in choosing you, the Bible says he adopted you, which means he chose you to be in his family. In the culture of the day, Paul would have been writing within that, that Roman culture of adoption, which was a very powerful picture which could be lost on us. You see, the fathers of families were very significant and powerful figures, and sometimes those of particularly major households, sometimes they would choose faithful slaves or servants to be adopted and become a family member. And when that happened, it was a public event, the public event of adoption, which typically wasn't for children as it is in our culture, but would be people who who are grown. And what would happen is the family would come out, the whole community would gather, and the natural children would be dressed in togas with the family crest. And the servant would be bought in their servant's clothes. But then everybody would stop and the community would be there and there would be a screen and the servant would go behind the screen. The father would go and adorn the servant with a toga with the family crest. And then they would come out together and the father would say, this man is now a son. And everyone would applaud and everyone would see this is no longer a servant, this is a son. And more than that, he would have full rights, any of the rights that the natural sons would have had in terms of inheritance, in terms of stature and status. This was slave, now son also had. And this is the picture that Paul is speaking into, saying he chose you before creation and he chose you for adoption, that you would be adopted into his family. Let me say to the ladies here, to say you are adopted to sonship is to say that you are a daughter, but with the full rights that any son would have had. He chose you. He desires you. He wants you to be near. Can we all say chosen? Secondly, saved. Wow. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We sing the song, my sin was great. Your love was greater. How true is that? What can separate us now? Psalm 103 puts it like this, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I I have found this out, that that if we explore the, the universe within which we live with the most powerful telescope that has yet been created, it is estimated that our universe is 46 billion light years away in diameter. 540 sextillion miles, which is 54 followed by 22 zeros. It's a long way. I think it's another way of saying he has made your sins irretrievable. He's removed them out of sight. Everything that stood in the way of coming into his presence has been removed. I remember hearing a true story of a, of, of a man of God who, who moved powerfully in the word of knowledge, visiting a church and, and, and having an incredible anointing and flow and picking people out and speaking bullseye words into their life and then pulling out four couples to the front and going down the line in front of the congregation who knew them. And he was a visitor and didn't know any information and he was speaking words over each of their lives and he got to a lady who was fifth in the line and as he stopped, he said, I saw something in your past which has brought you great shame. And he said, and I asked the Lord what it was and everybody leaned in a little bit. And he said, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly and said, I do not remember. You see, the all-knowing one, he chooses not to remember. Not that he could not, but he does not. You've been saved as far as the east is from the west. So far, he has removed your transgressions from you. Thank God we are saved. To saved is to be redeemed through his blood. These scriptures tell us for the forgiveness of sins. To be redeemed is the action of regaining or gaining something in exchange for a payment or the clearing of a debt. You might have heard the story of, of a boy who with his father crafted a boat and they made it out of wood and, and, and they they shaped this piece of wood together. And they worked on it together and they, they prepared a mast and they glued the mast into the base and they, they prepared a sail and they painted it and they varnished it and they tested it in the bath. But then came the day to go to a local lake and they put it on the lake for the first time and the boy was there and it, and it not only stood upright, but it actually sailed. But then a gust of wind came and it, and it blew it and quickly it shot out of reach and the boy was unable to reach and he was unable to swim. And it drifted out into the lake and he, he ran back back to the house to get his father who'd come at first but had returned and the father came with him. By this time when they got back, the, the, the boat had, had gone way into the middle of the lake and the father didn't want to risk going out and trying to swim for it. And he said, we'll, we'll wait, maybe it'll Maybe it'll go all the way to the other side. And they, they waited and waited and it just seemed to sit in the middle of the lake and the light started to drop and he said, we need to go home. We'll come back in the morning. In the morning, the, the boy woke early and he ran to the lake and he couldn't see the boat. And before school, he went round the edge of the lake as much as he could to see if it had caught in some of the reeds at the edge, but he couldn't see the boat and he had to go to school. At school, he came back and he looked again and he couldn't see the boat and it seemed to be lost and he was crestfallen. Four weeks later, he was in the town and in a shop window, he saw his boat and it had a, a price tag on it, 22 pounds. And he went in, he said to the shopkeeper, that's my boat. It's my boat. I made it. And the shopkeeper said, I bought it off somebody last week. He said, if, if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. And the boy said, I, I can't afford it, but, but don't sell it to anybody else. Keep it for me. And over the coming days, he did extra chores around the house and he earned up the money. And excitedly, when he'd got the money together, he went back to the shop and he said to the shopkeeper, I have come for my boat. And he paid the price and he held the boat in his hands and he said, you are twice mine. First, you are mine because I made you. And second, you are mine because I bought you back. This is what God has done for you. He made you and he bought you at full price. He didn't look for a discount. He paid full price on the cross. This is what redeemed means. Can we all say redeemed? You have been saved. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased at a price. And thirdly, raised. Can we all say raised? To be raised with Christ at one level is part of his salvation plan. These ideas are connected, not entirely separate. And yet there is something powerful when we look at them uh, distinctly. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6 says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up. Can we say raised us up? With Christ and seated us. Can we say seated us? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 2:10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not just saved, but raised. What does this mean? Well, I, I want us to understand something which is really significant here, which Paul is actually showing us. And it is this, that, that Christ Jesus beyond the cross is, under, is understood theologically to have passed through three significant events. Number one, his resurrection, he was made alive. Number two, his ascension when he was raised to the Father. And number three, what is called his session. Can we all say session? Which is his sitting down at the right hand of the Father. He was made alive, resurrected. He ascended in bodily form to the Father. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Resurrected, ascended, and his session. In the 5th century AD, the early church formulated a statement that has come to be known as the Apostles' Creed. In a lot of churches today, it is is declared every week as a declaration of faith. It's powerful. I grew up in a church, well, visited a church for a period of time where where we declared the Apostles' Creed every week. And it's powerful. In in fact, we're going to declare it here today because this is what we believe as Christians. We don't normally declare this in our our, our more non-conformist Pentecostal tradition, but it is good to declare this is the truth of what we believe. Towards the end, just to let you know, in case you're unsure, it says, we believe in the Holy and Catholic Church. And Catholic means universal in, in, in that sense. So I don't want to, in fact, can we stand again together and we are gonna declare the Apostles' Creed. Here it is on the screen. We're just gonna speak this out together. I believe in God. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, just stay standing for one moment. If we go back to the first bit, I don't know if you noticed it. There in the Apostles' Creed, the declaration is there. On the third day, he rose again. That's resurrection. Uh, He ascended into heaven. That's ascension. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that session, right? You can have your session now and take your seats again together. But I say that because what we see here is that that Paul is helping us understand that we are not just called to be admirers of Jesus, which we are. We're not called to be just worshippers of Jesus, which we are. We're not called just to live out our lives and try and walk in his ways as we are but we are in Christ. Can we all say in Christ? And being in Christ, he says, not only has Jesus been made alive, but you have been made alive. Not only has Jesus ascended, but you have been raised. Not only has Jesus taken his seat, but you are also seated in heavenly places. So this is what the scriptures say, chapter two, verse five and six we have been made alive with Christ. Resurrection. Two, six, we are raised up with Christ. And two, I'm not sure this is right, ten. Sorry, this isn't right. And six, again, we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ. The question, my friend, is will you accept it? Will you live there? Will you live according to the work that God has done for you and in you. Will you take your seat this week in heavenly places? No, not something which is in the age to come, but now. Because if you will, it will change everything. It will change not only your place, but your perspective and your priority in the big things and in the small things. Because everything changes when you know you're seated in heavenly places. One really little thing just before Christmas, our our next door neighbors uh, are beginning a a huge extension work on their property comes right up to our boundary. And they were nervous that we were going to contest the planning permission and we were going to be annoyed at the loud building work. And actually, they were amazed because we were just delighted that they are creating for themselves a brilliant family space. And they showed us the plans and they were really nervous. And we said, it looks fantastic. We're so excited for you. And they couldn't believe it. And they, were, they, they keep saying what amazing neighbors we are. I want to tell you, we're not amazing neighbors. We're just seated in a different place. I'm not really bothered about the noise. I'm delighted for them. Our house is a miracle for us. It's a gift from God, but we're not living for it. We hold it lightly. Actually, there's a, there's a home in another place that I've got my eyes set on a mansion in glory. And I thank God for where he's positioned us. But if he was to ask us to go, we will go because we're not living for these things. Everything changes. It changes your perspective of that nasty boss who maybe some of you have gone back to to work with to understand they're probably a broken person, working through some pain and venting it in the wrong place, who need the love of Jesus in their lives. It changes everything when we understand we are seated. And being raised with Christ, we are also his poema, his handiwork, his workmanship. This word poema in the Greek is where we get our word poem from. You are his poem. He is writing you. We don't get everything right all the time. Guess why? Because he's not finished yet with your life, with my life. He's still working on you, but you are his masterpiece. Last summer, we had the privilege of the family of going to Rome for a few days and we went to the Sistine Chapel. It's Michelangelo's Poema. I think we've got a couple of pictures. Some of you have been there. This is the, the Sistine Chapel in Rome. It took Michelangelo and his team four years to, to do the artwork on the ceiling. And, and now, 500 years later, six million people a year go and look at it. I think we can see a picture of the the ceiling itself. And it is a masterpiece. I'm not sure you would call it his handiwork. I don't know. It kind of conjures up DIY to me, handiwork. You are his masterpiece. He's working on you. He delights in working on you. And also he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. And so this week, I'm encouraging us to dwell in these verses, to ask the Holy Spirit to open them to us, to take us a little deeper in our understanding. If we think we've got it, ask him to help us to get it a little bit deeper and a little bit more because I've come to know when I think I've got it, I can still get it a little bit more as the Holy Spirit opens up to me the magnificence of what God has done for me. And let us also ask him to help us to step into every good work prepared in advance for us in 2023. I wonder if the band would come and join me. We're going to break bread. And those who are preparing the tables, if you would be willing to do that right now. As we come to a close, we're, we're going to remember Christ's death on the cross, without which none of this would be possible. Without which we wouldn't be raised and we wouldn't be seated and we wouldn't have grace lavished on us and we wouldn't have works prepared in advance for us to do if it wasn't for the cross, if it wasn't for his body broken and his blood shed. And so we come today to remember Jesus. We come today to say thanks. As we do it, I want to remind us of a final story from the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where David is king in Israel. And his friend Jonathan has died several years early, but he remembers his friendship and, and he inquires, is anybody left who was part of Saul's household? And Ziba, who was a servant in Saul's household that is now serving David, Ziba's born. And he says, do you know, is there anyone still from Saul's household? And he said, yes, Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth. When he was a child, he was dropped in a in a panic situation and his feet were damaged he was crippled on both feet and david said is he alive said yes he's alive where is he he's in a place called lodabar which means no word he's in a deserted desperate place and david calls for him and Mephibosheth comes and he's he's terrified he thinks because of what saul did that he's going to be killed and david says don't be afraid and he, and he says, actually, I want you to come and sit at my table. I want you, because of Jonathan's sake, I want you to come and have a seat and sit like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth, who am I that you would notice a dead dog like me? And the Bible says, and he always ate at the king's table as one of the king's sons. And he was crippled in both feet. And the truth is, when we come to the table, just as Mephibosheth did, our shame is under the table. It's hidden and we can come today in our brokenness, seated in heavenly places, but also seated at his table. And I invite you to come, to give thanks and to receive. Mephibosheth couldn't believe what David was doing for him in the same way we might read these verses and and be astounded at what God has done for us. But actually our invitation is to come and to receive. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then two tables at the back, two at the front are open. You to come and receive the bread and receive the cup. And in so doing, renew our covenant to say, I want to be found in you, Jesus. I want to be found in Christ. So why don't we pray? And then come when you're ready, as soon as I finish praying. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us to grasp open up our minds, enlighten the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we get it. Today we come with grateful hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken and for your bloodshed. Thank you that you paid the price. Thank you that you redeemed us with your own blood. We come to receive. come to take our place at your table, And with you in heavenly places. And help us to live there. Help us to walk in all that you've prepared for us. That our lives would bring you glory. In your holy name. Amen.